Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, COVID-19 cases on the rise, new restrictions, especially in the hot spots. We'll give you the details. How do you celebrate Thanksgiving? With technology. That's how. And no one will get hit in the head with a bun. And we talk about what would have been the 80th birthday of John Lennon. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Hope you have a great COVID-19 Thanksgiving. We have lots to be thankful for. Circles may be small, but you know what that means. More gravy for everyone. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show, and here's Scott Thompson! There you go. That's a perspective from a 13-year-old. It's all about the gravy, man. As long as you got the gravy, you're good to go. What's the problem? Uh, good afternoon. It is 12.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers can back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air as we wind up week number 30 of the COVID-19 pandemic Thanksgiving edition. And yeah, you know, and, and there's lot, there is lots to be thankful for. And one of those things are is that we can talk to each other the way we are right now. And uh, we're upright retaining fluids, as I like to say. Uh, 939 new cases in Ontario. Obviously, lots to talk about today. Uh, the, the rumors that we've been her- hearing early this morning and late last night that uh, Toronto Peel and Ottawa going into a modified stage two. And basically what that means, schools still open, all of that. Um, but uh, restaurants, bars, um, uh, cinemas, uh, anything that uh, where there is large gatherings of people uh, uh, off base for 28 days for uh, those areas. That is uh, Toronto, Peel, and Ottawa at this point. Uh, at this point, Ottawa, or sorry, Hamilton is not in, uh, affected. Uh, Hamilton continues on the way it is, but certainly uh, the message was from uh, Dr. Williams and the rest of the staff that uh, if we do not get this under control and we do not uh, head back to the protocol uh, that we had in stage uh, in the early stages of this, then the other areas could be affected as well. All right, to talk more about all of this, let's bring in Barry Packus. He is assistant professor at the Dalalana School of Public Health, University of Toronto, and with us now. Uh, Barry, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Obviously, busy times right now and, and a very fluid story. Your thoughts on Toronto and uh, Peel and Ottawa moving into a modified stage two, which again closes uh, areas of public gatherings such as uh, indoor dining, that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, I don't think we had much of a choice at this point. It's always a, a really difficult call. You want to do these public health um, measures, these things that we know prevent illness before um, the uh, pandemic gets back out of control. And yet you don't want to institute these measures when it's even slightly unnecessary because of the huge impact on people's lives. So it really is a difficult judgment call. But I think the numbers, uh, many different kinds of numbers, as was described in the uh, in the uh, um, news conference just recently, uh, indicate that this is where we need to go, certainly in those three jurisdictions. And and we'll see about Hamilton and other places shortly. 
Uh, are you expecting those other areas? Is again, uh, obviously, numbers are there, there's usually a two week, uh, one to two week lag in all of this. Do you think? Do you see this spreading out of these hot spots into other areas? It's hard to know. I think um, you know there, there's a lot of traffic certainly between uh, Toronto and Peel, and then you come around the corner there and you get into Hamilton. So um, you know there there may very well be these measures spreading uh, in the other areas of the province, or if we're successful then, um, you know, these numbers will come down somewhat and we'll be keeping those in place for at least a month. And and perhaps other surrounding areas won't need to go back into stage two. Um, Uh, I really try to frame it in in terms of not going back to stage two, but really moving forward into a more targeted approach. Um, But that's how the, the chief medical officer framed it. Um, as far as, uh, and this came up in the press conference that we just covered, what about when you restrict certain areas, people just going from one to the other? Yeah, so certainly that's going to happen. Um, we all know that happens quite often. It's just, it doesn't happen as often as people traveling within their own, their own jurisdictions. And I think the messaging now certainly is, uh, as much as it has been, you know, stay home and, um, you know, don't do anything really that's not essential. I think whether or not these restrictions are extended across the province, I think everyone across the province gets the message that things are potentially getting worse, and the idea is to you know, restrict some of that discretionary travel. Let's talk about mental health. Obviously, during the latter part of the summer, everybody was feeling pretty good. We had It appeared we had had this under control. We'd flattened the curve a bit. And uh, now, of course, as the, as the days are getting shorter and the winter months are here, it looks like, well, we are into, into a stage two. Uh, fatigue, all of that sort of thing in and around this pandemic. Your thoughts about the mental health of everyone heading into stage two? You know, or sorry, uh, wave two. Well, yeah, we're in the second wave. I, we're not going totally back to stage two. But, you know, I think the thing right now is that um, it's not like it was in March, where where we wake up one day and this just, for many people, came out of the blue. You know, we, despite the fact that we've been a little bit more uh, relaxed over the summer, I think everybody who, you know, looks at other countries or other jurisdictions in, in Canada and certainly neighbors to the south, we all knew this was coming. I think we're really fortunate in Ontario that we've done a good job as a society and governments and public health agencies in, in being, you know, a bit delayed than other regions of the world. And so we can take a look at that and see what's coming. Uh, but there's no question this is impacting everyone's, everyone's mental health, uh, certainly. And uh, to be honest, the only thing worse than the impact of mental health in, in shutting our workplaces and impacting our livelihoods is really our lives. And, and you know, it's not often where we're, we're faced with that difficult decision, but I think we are now. Uh, you know, obviously when there's anxiety and there's, and there's fear and, and again, a second wave, uh, some are saying, do this, don't do that. We should have done this earlier. Why didn't we do this then? And so on and so forth. Um, uh, should we, as you said, and you were, you, you were very, uh, quick to point out, this is not really going back to stage two. This is a modified version of stage three, trying to keep it moving forward as this does, uh, uh this does continually change. Um, are, are you concerned at all that, uh, that, that as, as, as people go through this, that they're looking for answers that we just really don't have now? What, what do you say to people who are looking for answers and questioning whether we're doing things fast enough? Those are really legitimate questions. I think both the people involved are asking those questions. The public is asking those questions. And the honest truth is we're never going to know. We're never going to know if we should have locked down two weeks ago and then we wouldn't be seeing what we're seeing now because, you know, those are paths we never took. I think the, the key is the balance here and the very thoughtful balance, doing things, you know, 
not in excess, but certainly not too late. And I think we have achieved that balance now. You know, potentially last week we could have seen this coming. But to be honest, with the issues there have been around testing, it's been difficult to know whether the numbers that are coming out every day really represent what's going on right now or a snapshot of of something slightly in the past. So it's been a bit of a challenge. But I think we made the right decision today. A message for those that are heading into Thanksgiving weekend and feeling a a little anxious. What are your thoughts? What what would you say to the average Ontarian Canadian today? I think it's a a difficult time to be making this announcement right before the Thanksgiving weekend. But I definitely think it's the right thing to do now because I think it sends a message to everybody. And this is the message I'd like to share as well, that we cannot have a Thanksgiving as normal. You know, anyone who thought we might be able to get away with um, you know, having a, a slightly larger family gathering than than uh, than the regulations would allow, or or getting together across different regions. Unfortunately, I really don't think that that's a good idea. Uh, it's 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 just not possible right now. Our our kind of worst case scenario would have been you know delaying this announcement. Everybody more or less going ahead with with Thanksgiving plans. Uh, mm. You know under modified pandemic circumstances, but more or less as is, and then really two weeks later seeing a dramatic increase in cases. And, and hopefully this announcement today and, and everyone adhering to the rules uh, will prevent that. Dr. Barry Packus has been with us, Program Director, Assistant Professor at the Dalat Lanet School of Public Health, University of Toronto. Barry, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Stay well. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Be well. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Obviously, with the restrictions, uh, technology is really helping us uh, bridge the gap. The only thing you can't do over Zoom is throw a bun across the table at that annoying person in your family. Let's leave it at that. Uh, you know, again, if uh, you can get enough members of the family together to do this, it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Let's bring in Shauna McDonald, PhD, Assistant Professor, Department of Communications, Arts, Associate Chair, Speech Communication and Digital Arts Communication, University of Waterloo, and is with us now. Shauna, th- Shauna thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yes, thanks for having me. So uh, technology obviously has come to the forefront uh, during this pandemic in many ways, whether it's uh, teaching, whether it's uh, everybody working or those that can work from home. Uh, now, obviously, it's taken a whole uh, other angle, uh, angle uh, socially. How important is it that we do something like this over this holiday weekend? I think it's going to be really important because I think a lot of people are probably pretty upset right now that they don't get to have business as usual. Uh, Thanksgiving is so important to so many people in, um, you know, in Canada. And I think that um, finding a way to connect is going to be really vital so that it doesn't become a complete sort of write off. And I think that's really important to keep people's spirits up. And is it as difficult as some think, especially for older generations? Um, I think I, I don't think so. I think what would be great is if uh, older generations could rely on someone who's more tech savvy within their bubble or within their circles uh, to sort of set things up and make sure that they can attend, but without a lot of that stress, which can come with trying to learn new technologies and and be present when you're sort of figuring out what buttons to press and how to you know fiddle with things. So as much as you can rely on those people who actually know the technologies to, to set things up and, and set the tone, that would be great. It's amazing how technology has helped a lot of seniors who have made that jump, who have who have made the attempt and, and are learning from it. Uh, once they get a hold of it, it's an amazing tool, isn't it, for them? 
I, I think so, certainly. And one of the things that I found most um, heartwarming to hear about was, you know, grandparents who couldn't see their grandchildren were taking time to set up those nightly story times. You know, yeah. and how that became a really nice way of connecting, especially with young children who are learning how to read or who really enjoy that bedtime story routine. It allowed for that daily connection to still be there. And, and that's what technology facilitated. That's a great idea. And, and again, this is not for just special occasions. Like you said, you can do this on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we're seeing, you know, families who are really missing each other. I know certainly in the first wave, there was a lot of organizing of quiz nights over Zoom or playing online board games or just even having cocktail hour, you know, ways to touch base so that it didn't feel so isolating and overwhelming with everything going on outside. How has uh, COVID-19 made our world smaller? I mean, many times, we, oh, yeah, if I only had time, I would do that. If I only had time, I would do this. Or I would, I would talk to that person. I would reach out here, reach out there. Uh, have we learned that we may have taken things for granted and that, uh, and, and perhaps focusing now on things that are most important to us? Yes, I, I, absolutely. I think that what the first wave allowed us to do was two things. One, it allowed us to press pause on our overextended and overscheduled lives. So that was very much the, the cycle that we were running in, like we were hamsters on a wheel. And it was really, really hard to maintain that and to actually have connection in that moment. Even if we were seeing people, we were exhausted, right? Um, I think that we pressed pause and that allowed a lot of people to reevaluate what mattered and, and who spending time with mattered the most because to set up a Zoom call, to figure out the technology meant a bit of a commitment, I think. Um, and so we, I think we saw uh, the beginnings of prioritizing who we were going to spend time with. Um, and I think the second thing that Zoom allows for to a certain degree is um, intimacy, because you're kind of up close when you're framed in, the, in yeah. the camera, you know, and so there's a closeness there that I've seen be really productive in a lot of different spaces, actually. So it's encouraging. What do you mean by that? Um, I'm thinking about even like as someone who teaches with my, my university students online and having those meetings where maybe everybody's in the class, but we're all on our little screens. Um, uh. There's more, there's more um, what's the word? Um, not attendance, but buy-in. I'm getting a lot of people who maybe would be shy in a classroom to type in the chat comments, and that way they're participating. Or, you know, if I'm in a classroom, they're quite far away from me if they're for a lecture hall. But um, when they talk on Zoom, I can see their faces much more up close, and it feels really connected. Now, how bizarre is that, Shauna, considering before COVID-19, this was going to be the hell for us. This, you know, life's going to hell in a handbasket because everyone's got their face in a screen and in a screen and now no one's talking to each other. So what's different? Yeah, I mean, I think that what is different is that we are um, we're, we're lonely, we're missing connection and we're finding new ways to make it happen. Um, I don't, I mean, we also get Zoom burnout and I think that's really important to talk about. We get fatigue from being on screens all the time and that, that's again allowing us to determine when we want to be on the screen, who we want to commit time to and making that count the most when we are on that, um, on the, on the screens, on the devices. And so it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a both and, I think. Um, but what it does allow for is a different kind of participation. And for people who might be more shy in person, this is a great, uh, means for, for connecting.
So we've talked many times at length on this show about you know what life's going to be out coming uh, coming out the other end. At the beginning of all of this, it was back to the you know once we get back to normal. Well, now we realize there is no normal, and when we come out the other end, you can't put the world on hold for this many months and have it go back to normal. So once this is over, rather than saying once we go back to normal, will all the stuff go out the window? Will we be back to our life where no 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 we don't have time for anything, time for anybody, or have will we learn from this just simply because of the duration of it? I really hope so. I really hope it's allowing for permanent change. Um, I think that there will be integration and a bit of a hybrid of what was before and what is the new. And I think that we'll be finding a way to, you know, take hopefully the best and the things that we've really had a chance to reflect on and integrate those into our, our daily lives. Uh, and, and with that saying, well, this didn't work and I don't want to go back to that. So I really hope so, because I think that that's important to us as a society to kind of grow and, and try something different than that, that you know, overscheduled frantic rush that we were in. What an interesting life experience we're all involved in right now. We don't even know it, or do we? Um, that's a great question. I think that even if we aren't saying it out loud all the time, um, most of our daily experiences are causing us to have these moments of reflection. So even if we can't see it in the moment, definitely, you know, five years from now, even two years from now, we'll probably have a, a, a like a, a conversation as a whole about like, wow, that was, that was something and it really changed us and hopefully for the better. Mm, it'd be interesting. Yes. Uh, we could go on all day. I got it. I'm out of time. Shauna McDonald with his PhD assistant professor, Department of Communications at University of Waterloo. Fascinating discussion, Shauna. Thanks for the time. Happy Thanksgiving. Be well. You too. Thanks for having me. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. John Lennon would have been 80 years old today. Imagine that. Uh, And maybe I'll ask Eric this. I I mean, obviously, it's tragic that the man lost his life in, in, you know, uh, everybody, his fans missed out on so much work that could have been done between now and then. But is it better to have John Lennon in our memory as he was when he passed? Or is it better to see what he's like at 80? Eric Elper is with us, uh, music publicist, publicist and commentator, and on the line now. Eric, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, everybody's great over here. And um, who is this John Lennon cat that everybody's been talking about today? Yeah, this kind of snuck up on me. So <laughs> is it better to have that image, sort of like a, a James Dean thing, have that image of him as the younger John Lennon, or uh, forget all that, and it would be better to see him today at 80 and, and see what he had done? Yeah, I mean, well, well, certainly, I think if you would ask any music fan, it would be it would be very much uh, a little bit obvious that you want people to be around because it was fascinating mm-hmm. looking back to see what kind of music John Lennon was creating. You know, especially with that Double Fantasy album, which was his fifth album that was released about a month before he was shot and killed in November of 1980. Then he um, and then he died in December. But you know, when you when you listen to that album now and then you read about the, the, those times, the album kind of stalled on the music charts. The music critics didn't really enjoy it so much. And keep in mind, too, that in 1980, the Beatles weren't really as cool as they were now. You know, Paul McCartney was still certainly still having hits, but the Beatles, they were only 10 years from breaking up. Um, and certainly, you know, the legendary status needed, I think, another another 10 more years for them to be absolutely 
the legendary things that they are now. So it would have been fascinating to see where he would have went after the double fantasy record. Because quite frankly, John Lennon had no time for music critics. He had no interest in pleasing the general public. He wanted to create the music that he wanted to create. But it was only until after his death that people started talking about that album as a landmark release, simply because, of course, it was his last release. Uh, the big question, had he survived, do you think there would have been a reunion of the Beatles? Um, you know, my, you have to my, think by now there must have been, there would yeah, have been. It's, especially because I think, you know, uh, there was, there was a little bit of the back of the mind of even George Harrison that he would actually want to reform the band. Um, Ringo Starr would have jumped up the chance to play anything, anytime, any place with anybody, hmm. uh, which makes Ringo just so amazing. And I think Paul McCartney w- would be more than happy to make sure that that band, I mean, if any, time in history would have been ripe for a Beatles reunion. It would have been around the time of the mid-1990s when the anthology book came out, the anthology TV series brought them to the back of the charts, and then uh, certainly when those uh, when those CDs came out again, um, bringing the Beatles into the stratosphere when it came to just how many millions of copies more they sold, um, the 1990s would have been perfect. You had artists like Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam all bow at the feet of, of what the Beatles were able to create. So certainly, you know, there would have been I mean, the amount of money that would have been on the table, yeah. you don't start in the hundreds of millions. You start in the billions and you work, and you work your way up from there. You know, you bring up a valid point, too, because uh, musicians usually, you know, popular musicians, uh, you know, have a have a have a good run and then things start to lag. And if they were big enough and creative enough, then they'll come back and do, uh, you know, a second surge. My goodness, we've seen that with the Rolling Stones uh, a couple of times. I'm still waiting for it personally from you, too. Um, but at that time, you bring up a good point. When Double Fantasy came out, uh, John Lennon wasn't necessarily the hippest cat in music anymore. Uh, it would have no. been fascinating to see if that and how that would have come full circle. I remember somebody saying that about the Elvis 68 comeback special. And everybody looks at it now and goes, ah, it was amazing. But at the time, that, that was not in vogue. It wasn't in style. That was old. Yeah, John Lennon was a house husband. You know, John Lennon was an introvert and a hermit as much as anybody else in music could be, having been one of the most popular people on the planet. He was, you know, in some music critics' eyes, producing watered-down, sappy music with his wife, Yoko. And, you know, which is, you know, in my opinion, like, better than most people's worst albums or best albums ever. Um, But, you know, you need a generation to to realize um, how how things were and that doesn't come for another 10 or 15 years and we see it every single decade where the 90s were uncool for a lot of bands in the early 2000s and maybe even 2010 now you know you know pre-covid some of the biggest tours were you know some of these one-hit wonders or or people that had maybe one or two albums people like live and bush and um and and those artists that are now considered classic rock hmm. on classic rock stations, because thirty years have gone by, it's enough to to realize that music to them isn't the same anymore. So you start to look back at what kind of music you were listening to as a teenager and a young adult before the mortgage set in, before getting married and kids set in. And and John Lennon was absolutely in that pattern of of 
you know, not leg- uh, certainly, you know, and when I talk about not legendary, you know, not legendary for John mm-hmm. Lennon, but he certainly wasn't on the top of the charts by any means. Not not the same way that Paul McCartney or Blondie and the Ramones and, and artists like Duran Duran were going to be in a couple of years down the road. You know, we talked about what, you know, for example, writing what he may be doing at this uh, at this uh, point in his life or the last 20 years had he had he lived. But you even have to think he was so involved politically uh, and, 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 you know, in many cases at, at odds with the band over this. It would be fascinating to hear what his political stands are right now, considering uh, where the world is. Well, I, I, I know I know for certain he would hate Twitter. Um as much as, you know, I, I think he would see a lot of disappointment in what's going on right now with the with the absolute um, sky the limit possibility of what social media could have been in terms of sharing ideas, sharing talent, sharing music. And I think that he would just hate the absolute bitterness and anger that is out there in the world. Um uh, I'm sure that he would love the fact that electronic music is back in. There was something very different about the fact that, you know, the music that he was creating in the 1970s and directly influenced artists like the B-52s and early REM um, artists that took the weird parts of John Lennon and made them into their own. He would mm. he would tickle by the fact that the punk movement loved John Lennon and probably hated Paul McCartney. Um, at least outwardly, um, they thought he was the absolute greatest rebel that ever walked the face of the earth when it came to music and took no guff from anybody. Um, so I think that he would love the the sheer arrogance and kindness of somebody like a Billie Eilish. I think that he would take a look at what's going on with somebody like a, even even somebody like a Nicki Minaj. Mm. I think he would see the spirit of rock and roll in her. It's why... It's why, you know, and, and sorry to go off on a tangent, Dave Grohl came out a couple of years ago and said that Billie Eilish reminds him of Nirvana, of Kurt Cobain. And he got a lot of hate on social media hmm. on it because it was like, well, Billie Eilish is a rock and roll, but she absolutely is. She has the spirit of fun and and stifling your nose at, at adults. And, and I think all of that, John Lennon would love the fact that that social media allows people to create the kind of music that they wanted to create without record labels, without the gatekeepers. He was all about bringing music to the power of the people. And I think he would hate the platform, but love what people are doing, at least on it. I uh, can't let you go without your thoughts on the passing of uh, Eddie Van Halen. I, w- I was talking to uh, a couple other people about that. And, you know, the big discussion, where does he fit in the greatest guitar players of all time? And much like sports, you can't compare hockey players from different eras to each other. I think it's the same for guitar players. But your thoughts on his passing? Uh, two seats in the front row of the rock and roll uh, rock and roll life. Uh, Jimi Hendrix gets one of them. Eddie Van Halen gets one of them in terms of guitars. Two artists that completely dominated and changed the way that the guitar is played and heard and felt. And uh, uh, right now on iTunes US, eight of the top 10 songs are Van Halen songs. On the album charts, nine of the top 10 albums are Van Halen songs. Someone out there is listening to Van Halen for the first time, and we're going to be hearing their music in about three years from now. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm getting goosebumps just listening to you talk about that. Eric Elper, music publicist and commentator with us, talking about uh, John Lennon would have been 80 and, of course, the passing of Eddie Van Halen at 65. Eric, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Happy Thanksgiving. Be well.
You too. Have a great long weekend. We'll talk soon. Let's see if we've got time to squeak in. Reverend Jim Carrier here with uh, our weekly message of hope. Uh, I think this press conference is going to take us right past the uh, the 3 o'clock hour. So let's bring in Jim now. Jim, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Thank you, Scott. Happy Thanksgiving. Back at you. What does this time of year mean to you? What does it mean to the people in your church? Uh, how are things different for you? Well, I think for the people in our church, Thanksgiving is, is, is what we call one of those holy days. It's a high day of celebration and giving thanks. Uh, for the things that we have. It's going to take on a different face, I think, for our families uh, this year. Uh, we will have a service this Sunday of ordination. Uh, we're or- ordaining a young, a young man into the, uh, into the diaconate. Uh, so we will have a service practicing social distancing. But in terms of, of our families, once we depart, we don't, we don't have a reception afterwards. And so things are going to look a little different around the, uh, the dinner table for many of our congregants. Well, for many people uh, in Ontario, uh, since we're being urged to celebrate only with with those uh, those people that that live in our homes, so so we're you know I'm working on my message and my teaching on on Sunday, and I'm and I'm talking a, a little bit about about that and what that that may how that may take shape for for everyone, uh, not just for members of the congregation, but for people throughout Ontario, and and maybe thinking about how we can still make Thanksgiving uh, such a special day, whether you celebrate it or on Sunday or Monday, and. Uh, and so I'm, I'm encouraging people, really, just to put away uh, the media, put away whatever it is that's causing you anxiety and stress. Put it away, at least for one day. Just, just tuck it away and find something to do that brings you peace. You could read a good book, say a prayer, go for a walk, maybe a phone call to a friend or family member, maybe a Zoom gathering, maybe give to a charity, donate to a food bank. Just do something that brings you peace and calm in your heart and allow the day to to think about those things that you do have, even in the middle of the pandemic, things that we do have that help make life easier during this, this stressful time. And just re-energize yourself and, and, and start to feel good and peaceful about things. And then approach the next day, whether it's Monday or Tuesday, then get right back, in, right, right back into things. But carry that through, the fact that, that there are things in which we can find peace and that can help us... Uh, help us uh, um, help us move forward uh, during this pandemic. And really, uh, obviously, there, there's lots to be thankful for. Number one, we're here. Um, but do you find this year people are perhaps a bit more thankful because this has made us lead a much smaller world and, and, and prioritize what's really important to us? Well, it certainly has been uh, opening our eyes to, to what's important to us, the things that we miss and the things that we have available to us that can help uh, make these times easier for us, like the Internet and, and, and friendships and neighbors and, and, and whatnot. So I think, I think this whole thankfulness perhaps has begun, had begun in March, that maybe Thanksgiving had begun in March when we began to see all of these important things in our lives that, that we needed to be thankful for. All right. The Reverend Jim Carrier has been with us from Good Shepherd Church in St. Catharines. Make sure you check out his Facebook page. And remember, uh, always lots to be thankful for. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's move on. Uh, and obviously, we're seeing rises uh, in cases as they predicted way back when, I guess a couple of weeks ago, that cases could hit or will hit a, a thousand by uh, the middle of this month. Is this, how is this affecting hospitals uh, yet and, uh, and moving forward, obviously, and uh, a special concern around ICUs? Let's bring in Dr. Zane Chagla, infectious disease specialist with St. Joseph's Hospital and an associate professor in the Division of Infectious Disease. Department of Medicine, McMaster University, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. 
Yeah, hi. How are you, Scott? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, compare where we are right now, uh, Doctor, to where we have been uh, at earlier stages of this pandemic. How are we faring right now? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting comparison because we are talking about a time where we are trying to find many cases. We know what's going on in our community as compared to when we started this in February and March. Um, we are kind of at that point, though, where we're starting to ride the wave up now. And uh, and uh, the Hamilton area, thankfully, has been a little bit more separated. And thankfully, our hospital capacities have been fairly reasonable. Um, but we also face another set of circumstances. We're trying to keep uh, a COVID wave going while we're still trying to run our hospitals and make sure that patients without COVID get good care, that kids remain in schools, that people remain in workplaces. And it's a very dangerous intersection of everything to, to really balance all at once. I remember when we were coming out of the first wave, uh, this being late summer, hospitals were talking about, you know, how they were starting to, again, reschedule some of the surgeries that had been delayed uh, through COVID-19. Uh, are, are those still on the docket? I mean, are, are we still moving forward mm-hmm. with those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, hospitals have, have had plans to, to get all these patients through. I mean, and, uh, folks in the operating room are working at incredible paces to make sure some of that missed care is provided. Um, we're trying even for our non-surgical care to make sure people see their specialists, people are, are really able to access primary care like they were before. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, there is this Herculean effort to try to get healthcare mobilized in a manner that, that can provide for both COVID and non-COVID care. And it, it's, uh, it's a, a difficult uh, balance to walk. Are you starting to see the congestion in hospital as we are seeing the second wave? Are you starting to to see it, it tick up again in the hospitals and, and in your wards? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if you go back every year to Friday, October 9th, I think we would all talk about how hospitals were already congested on Friday, October the 9th, yeah. 2019, 2018, 2017. So there's nothing different about October 9th, 2020. Um, thankfully, again, there isn't that much COVID in our institutions, but we also have to play by different rules now, right? We can't, you know, we're trying to make sure patients have more single or double accommodations. We can't have patients sitting in hallways. We need spaces for patients, but we also need spaces for staff so they can have meals safely and be able to distance from others as part of that. And so there's a new set of challenges here that uh, that is already on, on an infrastructure of beds that, you know, is already near capacity most times in the year. Yeah, everybody forgets that those were the discussions we were having before COVID-19, that uh, it was an issue then, obviously, before uh, all the stress of a pandemic, a, a global pandemic. What about ICUs, doctor? Are are we equipped for a second wave for that? Or are you seeing an uptick in admission to ICU? Again, thankfully, in the Hamilton area, it hasn't really been there, although it, you know, it is uh, a you know, looking at the trend that's happening in the GTA and Peel, you know, as the case counts start rising, and we are starting to see some of that rise now in Hamilton in the last few days, um, that you start seeing people trickle in through the hospital and through the ICUs. We do have the ability, we have surge capacity, we have the ability to actually scale up, but there is, again, this difficult balance. We know we need to keep the ICU open for everything else that brings people to hospital, as we start doing more complex surgeries that were put off, we often need the ICU beds just to help with that care of that patient and transition them back. 
Um, so, so yes, I mean, I, it's, it's again, this, this balance that we're going through to make sure the capacity is there, but also be able to support our normal care. Uh, obviously, doctor, this is a, a global pandemic that, that, that we're kind of learning as we go. Uh, it's a very fluid situation. That being said, uh, second wave, as far as you've seen it, different from the first, um, uh, you know, even, even from a preparedness level. Yeah, I mean, you can separate it from an, into a, an inpatient and outpatient level. So for inpatient care, for patients who are hospitalized, there are certain advantages now. We have better treatments. We have more standardized care. Our testing is more sensitive. Our PPE um, uh, uh, supplies are much more replenished. Uh, and we have a lot more information of how the virus actually transmits. Um, you know, I think that, that's a, a benefit for inpatient care, and at least the you know, patients are surviving better and they're able to, to do better when they make it to the hospitals. Um, but, you know, in the, the external world, it's a brave new world in the sense that we're also trying to get people tested when they have minor symptoms in the community. We're trying to keep people in workplaces. We're trying to keep kids in school. We're trying to deal with a roadmap of our assessment centers and testing capacity. And that's very different than our first wave. Uh, that was a, this is a completely new set of complications that, uh, that's making it quite difficult to coexist with this wave. So uh, where we are considering, uh, obviously, we're waiting for a press conference uh, later on this afternoon, a set of two press conferences from medical staff. Uh, rumor has it, speculation is that there are going to be more restrictions in hot spots, uh, such as Toronto, Peel, and in Ottawa. Uh, do you feel the need for that uh, to, to be more spread out, uh, whether it's province-wide or even just around the Golden Horseshoe? I mean, Every one of these is like a, it's like a, you know, playing a game of chess where every move has a counter move that opens up a vulnerability, right? And, and we have to be clear here that these, these measures are being given to the places where healthcare capacity is being stretched, where uncontrolled disease transmission is taking place and where contact tracing has become very difficult. And, uh, you know, they're, they're operating in a, an area where they're essentially lost the navigation system while flying into the storm. So, you know, I, I think for now, I think a regional approach is reasonable, but it is a warning to our region in Hamilton that if things don't come under control, if we start seeing un, uncontrolled transmission and, uh, you know, in, in people's homes and other workplaces, we may be leading into these uh, these uh, restrictions too. So we, we have a window that's open, but uh, it's, uh, it's only going to be open for a certain amount of time. All right, doctor, a message for Hamiltonians as we gear up for a holiday weekend. Yes, I think you can still do some stuff uh, outdoors. You can meet your family outdoors. You can do a nice distance meal outdoors. But please do not have the big 20-person at-the-table gathering. Support one or two maybe, but that's it. That, that we have to be really careful about the indoor events during Thanksgiving as we know those are prime for COVID transmission. Dr. Zane Chagla has been with us, infectious disease specialist with St. Joe's Hospital and associate professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases, Department of Medicine, McMaster University. Zane, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. All the best. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.